It's 1209, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So, Eric, are you a car guy? I appreciate the vehicles. All right. right. We're going to be talking about this a little bit later on the show. The Dodge Demon. Have you heard about ah, this? Ah, yes. Dodge very Demon. controversial. Right. Dodge Demon. Um, it is starting to ship now. How about you, Gru? You heard about the Dodge Demon. <clears throat> um, it is. It delivers... It delivers 840 horsepower, limited mm-hmm. production, 6.2 liter Hemi V8 engine. Don't ask me about gas mileage, but get this. <laughs> it goes 0 to 60 in 2.3 seconds. I mean, this is like riding the Incredible Hulk roller coaster down at Universal Studios. It can do a quarter mile in 9.65 seconds. Wow. And they are getting ready to um, ship them. They're making... Well, they're making about 3,300 of these um, in Canada, and they're holding 300 back for Canadian buyers. The rest are coming to the United States. Pricing starts, starts. So this is the base model, (laughs) $84,995, which includes the gas guzzler tax. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So that's the starting thing. We're going to be talking about that a little bit later on. I I don't know if that's necessary. 60 miles per hour in two seconds. 2.3 seconds. I'm not that impatient. Well, that's why it is controversial because barely street legal. But, yeah, we'll be be, actually, I think the 2 o'clock hour, we're going to check that out. If you want to, if you want to see... The ad about that, um, and read some more about it. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I, I tweeted that out. I've got, uh, got, got some of the information about that, including like this little video that's there. So you can follow me at Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. We'll be talking about that a little bit later on in the show. Uh, we start off today's program like we start off every program. Three big things coming up around twelve thirty-five. We're going to be talking about the trolley. We're actually going to be joined by one of the Milwaukee aldermen who has been most vocal in opposing it, Alderman Tony Zelinsky, um, talking a little bit about the funding for the trolley. But if you tried to drive anywhere in downtown Milwaukee uh, over the weekend, you can't get there from here seriously because Tom Barrett's trolley has the entire city. It seems like certainly east of the river. Tor- uh, torn up and um, creating just absolute nightmares for people trying to get around. And we're going to be talking about the bigger question is to to what end? Where do we go from here? But we start off with big story number one. It is the continuing saga of Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore. Now, let me review the bidding for just a minute here. Last week, late last, Roy Moore is, of course, the controversial Steve Bannon-backed Republican candidate for Senate out of Alabama. Um, Donald Trump actually supported the other guy that was running as Republican, Luther Strange, who was the sitting senator. He um, was named by Trump and supported by Trump. He was supported by Trump, named by the governor, to serve out the balance of to fill in for Jeff Sessions. So now you've got, when Jeff Sessions became the Attorney General, so now you're going to have a runoff election. But Luther Strange was the guy that was in place. He is by no means an establishment necessarily Republican, but he he was able to get along with people in the U.S. Senate. He got a challenge from Alabama's Ten Commandments judge, Roy Moore. I say the Ten Commandments judge because Roy Moore was twice elected to the Alabama Supreme Court and twice removed because of positions he took, including the fact that he had a huge Ten Commandments monument, you know, in, in the public in the public area. He was told by a federal court to remove it. He refused to follow the law. And and, and what what bothered me and continues to bother me about Roy Moore as a judge was the fact that 
I, I, I'm in favor. I want judicial conservatives, and that is different than necessarily political conservatives. Judicial conservatives are people who follow the law. I don't like it when you have judges, and this typically comes from liberal judges who decide that they don't care what the law is. They set themselves up sort of like as a super legislator, and they decide, well, I just don't like this particular law, or I don't think the result of the law is fair in this case. So they bend the law, or they ignore the law, or they try to throw out the law on specious grounds. Well, I don't like it when the left does it, and I don't like it when the right does it. Now, I I think... The whole law, the interpretation that the Supreme Court has come down with, as I've talked about before, in the area of separation of church and state, is a mess. And I'm hoping that the Supreme Court takes a look at some of these cases that are going up and working their way through the courts to try to give us some clarity. But I, I just, whether you, when, when it's a conservative judge or a liberal judge, I just don't think that judge should be deciding to ignore the law. So anyhow, that's who Roy Moore is. Um, he's kind of an odd duck um, he's been sort of notorious in Alabama politics. He was endorsed by Steve Bannon, and he won. So now he is the Republican candidate for U.S. Senate. Last week, the Washington Post breaks the story of a, a girl who 38 years ago, 38 years ago, at the age of 14, this young woman says that uh, she met Roy Moore. They dated. He inappropriately touched her. The Washington Post was looking for other women that would say that they were sexually assaulted by him. They could not find any, but they did find a handful of women who said, yeah, back when, you know, back around this time when he was in his early 30s, he dated us when we were 14, 15 and 16 years old. As I mentioned earlier, there is a press conference scheduled for about 15 minutes from now in New York. Gloria Allred, who is one of these sort of celebrity headline-chasing lawyers, she's scheduled a press conference where she claims that she has another woman, she has a client, who is going to also allege that around this time her client was sexually assaulted by Roy Moore. I don't know where that's going. And whenever you hear that it's Gloria Allred involved, you want to take it with a large grain of salt. As I said on Friday, I don't know what the truth of these allegations are. Now, it's been interesting. It it played out over the weekend because you had Roy Moore, who went on the Sean Hannity show and gave what I thought was a pretty dismal performance um, uh, about this entire thing. And then you have some advertisers who got upset with Hannity for having him on and being sympathetic to him, like Keurig, the coffee maker. And so they announced that they were going to pull their sponsorship of the program. That, is, over the weekend, has led to this huge boycott Keurig um, campaign where people are destroying their coffee makers. It's just it, This whole thing has taken on a life of, of its own. Uh, Mitch McConnell today says he, he thinks he believes the woman. He thinks that, you know, Roy Moore should step down. It, of course, is more complicated than that, because given the timing, at least right now, of the election, which is coming up in early December, if Roy Moore were to step down, um, his name would still appear on the ballot. For his part, Moore says he's not going anywhere and he's threatening to file a lawsuit against The Washington Post for defamation. So it, it's a whole it's a whole mess. I want to take a step back and take a deep breath here. As I said on Friday, I don't know what the truth of this matter is. I I don't. It's 38 years ago. 
So there don't appear to be any witnesses. Um, Do I believe that women can make false claims of this? I I do. I mean, look at the the, look at the Duke lacrosse case. Does that mean I think this woman is necessarily lying? No, I, 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 I don't know. And the fact that it is 38 years ago makes it impossible, I think, for any of us besides her and besides Roy Moore to know actually what what went on. It's not like you're going to be able to recreate this and determine one way or the other what exactly the truth is. There are a couple indicators I have always used in situations like this. First, I mean, I, I always you, you always kind of wonder what the timing is. Why, given the fact that Roy Moore has been such a public figure, I mean, he's run for statewide office on multiple occasions, why didn't she come forward before? Why didn't she come forward during the um, during the primary campaign? Why do you wait till a couple weeks before the general election? Now, the answer to that might be, well, she feels emboldened now because of this Me Too campaign and all the stuff with Harvey Weinstein, and, and maybe maybe that explains it. One of the other questions I've always had is that, Typically, if you have somebody who is a molester in this fashion, a child molester, it's not an isolated case. There tends to be multiple types of of situations involved, and at least pending whatever this press conference is today, so far, there's only one woman who says that he inappropriately touched her. You know, um, it's not a child molestation case, but, you know, Harvey Weinstein, there's all sorts of women that said that, you know, he did what he did to them. Bill Cosby, whether you think it was consensual or not, there's all these women that say, yeah, you know, this is what happened. This was Bill Cosby's modus operandi. So you have this whole pattern that's developing. With Roy Moore, there's at least thus far only one woman that says that she was sexually assaulted by him. So, you know, you're going to have to figure it out one way or the other. But there is a huge but here, and this is what I want to talk to you about to start off with. He acknowledges that when he was in his early 30s, he dated teenage girls. And I say dated, I'm putting this in quotation marks. He dated teenage girls. He says, I didn't date any of them without their parents' permission. But he was 30, 31, 32. Now, Gru, who is producing the show. All right. How old are you? Okay. You are 28. All right. You are 28. Putting aside your 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 girlfriend now, right, at the age of 28, and be careful with your answer here, would, would you even think of dating, dating, parental permission or not, a 14 or a 15 or a 16-year-old? You would not. Good. <laughs> you get to continue to answer phones today. Good. All right, I'm thinking back to when when I was in my early 30s, okay, I'd been practicing law. And this is, I mean, you know, Roy Moore was, was working in the DA's office at the time. When I was in my early 30s, I was working for the United States Attorney's Office. There is no way in God's green earth that I would have ever considered dating, quote-unquote dating, seeing in any sort of romantic sense at all, with parental permission or not, somebody that was 14 or 15 or 16 years old. That is just plain weird. It it just is. We're not talking about, you know, the 18-year-old high school senior that's dating the 14-year-old high school sophomore or something like that. We're, that's not what we're talking about. We are talking about a 30, 32-year-old man 
who is in a position of responsibility, you know, you're an assistant district attorney or whatever, who by his own admission is seeing people who are 14, 15, and 16 years old, whether or not he inappropriately touched them or not, this, to me, is just beyond weird. And for, if nothing else, now I understand it was a long time ago, I understand it a long time ago, but that in and of itself, to me, says something. I don't think that in and of itself is normal. And for those reasons, I'm thinking, you know, if nothing else, that this is the type of thing which I, I think people should, I think he should step down. I think he should do it voluntarily. Again, I'm not judging, did he sexually assault this woman or not? I don't know. Nobody's ever going to know for sure except the two of them. But But I do know... That somebody that would put themselves in that position, there is something not right about somebody who is 30 or 31 or 32 years old who is seeing 14 or 15 or 16-year-old girls. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I don't care if it's Alabama or Mississippi or Texas or Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That's a weird thing. It is not normal for 32-year-old men to go sniffing around, you know, 14 and 15 and 16-year-old girls, period. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I have to tell you, once I hear that, I I don't even need to go candidly. I don't need to go farther and try to determine who's telling the truth or not. I'm like, what, what? That is not a normal thing. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Doug in Milwaukee. Doug, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, I, th- I think you're right on on this one. Um, you do want to withhold judgment a little bit, you know, uh, on the one allegation, and it's pretty old. But an admission that you were dating <laughs> women of that age, I, I, I'm with you. That's where I totally veer and say there's something wrong with this guy. And, you know, regardless of your politics, you have to take a stand on morality at some point. That's not something I want somebody in a, a high right. government it, office who made that decision. Right. It, it, is, it is just not a normal thing for, you know, your normal 30-something-year-old male is not going to be dating, you know, is not going to be romantically interested in a 14 or 15 or 16-year-old. That is just... That, that tells me that there's something wrong with you. I'm sorry. And I hate if some people think that's unreasonably judgmental. Okay, that's, that's the hill I'm willing to die on. I mean, you don't, you don't go yeah. sniffing around 15-year-old girls if you're 32 and, and you're a lawyer. Yeah. And I, I don't think that, that kind of uh, smell test, I don't think it was that much different 30 or 40 years ago. I think you, everyone would look at that a little odd even then. Um, yeah, right. Thanks. For, I, you, would, you, you would at least... You would hope so. All right, we continue the conversation right there. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1224, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1226, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Casey in Watertown sends me an email. She says, I have to say I developed early. I had older men hit on me all the time. As soon as they found out how old I was, they were appalled and backed off. Yeah, okay, all right. So, So you've got the... I don't know, 15 or 16-year-old who might look like she's 18 or 19 or whatever. First of all, okay, a 32-year-old guy hitting on somebody who thinks is 18 or 19, I think, is a little bit odd. But then when you find out, oh, I'm still in high school, I'm a sophomore, and, and you you continue to date them, I that that in and of itself is just such an odd thing. 
414-799-1620. Bob in Waukesha. Bob, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Jeff. You know, I, I, this, I know that this is not funny, uh, but, but I, I chuckle uh, because, I, and, and I only disagree on one aspect, and I don't think anyone will ever know uh, what actually transpired. Uh, but, uh, and the aspect that I disagree with you on is, Jeff, this is Alabama. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is, this yeah. is the same state where the Tuskegee syphilis study was conducted that coincidentally didn't end until the 1970s. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, I think, see, think, see, Bob, I, 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 I get that there, that there's a cultural difference, I, I guess, and, and, and I know that there's older men who marry younger women and things like that, but I, I'm sorry, I, cultural or not, He's 30, by his own admission, he's 30, 31, 32 years old. He's an assistant district attorney, and with the permission of parents or not, dating dating children. And that's that's what this is, dating children. And I get it, it's 40 years ago, and maybe there's a different sort of thing that's going on here. But that's, that is just, that is odd. It says something about people, and it says something about him candidly it makes me more inclined to believe the accuser but i don't even have to go that far i I just don't have to go that far this is an absolute mess thank you steve bannon again for creating this problem and this is one of the things that happens when again you have some of these flamethrowers who nominate some of these ideologically out there candidates and they end up winning and then you have the problem that you have but when i saw this guy on hannity kind of hemming and hawing about oh you know okay i you know i maybe i did date some of these girls what you know they're 14 and 15 years old and you're dating them it's 1229 this is jeff wagner 1236 jeff wagner WTMJ, the death toll for mass shootings in the United States continues to rise, but what about those who were wounded? How are their lives forever changed? Gene Miller talks to a doctor who worked on patients following the tragedy in San Bernardino. That is at 7.51 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. All right, Saturday, I, I was downtown for something, and I was trying to drive around, and actually there was a restaurant I wanted to stop at to get something to take out so I could have lunch. I, I gave up. Because it seemed like every time I tried to get anywhere near the restaurant, the road was torn up and blocked. I'm not, I'm not just talking about block. I mean, the road's like gone. And, and after a while, after trying to make a couple right turns, I, I finally said, okay, this, I, enough is enough. There's all sorts of places I can go. I don't know how the streetcar construction is, is. I don't know how some of the businesses are weathering it. But right now, and the streetcar, by the way, Tom's Trolley Folly, isn't supposed to be operative for another year. So God knows how much longer these various businesses are going to have to put up with this before you ultimately get the streetcar in. I continue to believe that 15 years from now, if Martians land in Cathedral Square Park and look at what I predict at the time will be a vacant, unused trolley line and find out how much money we spent on it, they will fly away convinced that there is no intelligent life on Earth, or at least no intelligent life in Milwaukee. And yet the mayor is hell-bent on not only continuing with this project, but also tearing up the rest of the city in an effort to try to expand this thing that no one is going to ride. One of the leading opponents on the Milwaukee Common Council to the streetcar trolley project has been Alderman Tony Zielinski, and Alderman Zielinski joins us right now. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, 
you know, one of the things the mayor has said about this, at least first step of the project, is it's not going to cost the taxpayers anything. The federal government's picking it up. We've got Potawatomi that's sponsoring it. You've actually been going a little bit behind the numbers when it comes to the real cost of this thing. Oh, yeah. You know, when the mayor first presented his budget and people were up in arms, they said, how can you cut all these cops and firefighters and still put the push the streetcar because you know almost everybody in this community if they have a choice between protective services for their family their spouses their children their loved ones and a streetcar most people are going to say hey let's protect our families so um he's in his budget that he presented to 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 the city actually had over six hundred thousand dollars that was being used for the streetcar that could have been used for for cops when he first was uh, presented with the question you know um how can you do that? He said no tax levy dollars were being used for the streetcar, which technically probably is right. But what he didn't do is answer the whole question, and that is that there are city dollars being used for the streetcar in his budget that could have been used for cops and firefighters. So here we have a mayor that's saying, hey, we don't have enough money for cops and firefighters. That's why I have to cut all these cops and firefighters. But yet he had over a half a million dollars in there for the streetcar. And it took me some digging to find out that there actually was money in for the streetcar because he didn't volunteer that. He's got the streetcar hidden with things like traffic engineer number three. So, you know, we had to do some digging to find out that there actually was money used because if you would have taken what he said, saying there's no tax levy dollars to be used for the streetcar that could have been used for the cops, the average person on the street says, oh, I guess that there, there is no connection in this budget. But yeah, let's was, talk a little bit about this. My, my understanding is there there's over $200,000 in the mayor's budget devoted to the creation of, of two positions that are – you wouldn't know it until you did what you're talking about, but but they're really these are two positions designed to manage the streetcar. That's a couple hundred thousand dollars, right? Right, that's a couple hundred thousand dollars right there. Then there's three hundred and fifteen thousand. I mean, he does have the word streetcar on on um, on at least one, if not both of those. But traffic engineer three doesn't have the name streetcar on there, right. and then he's got three hundred fifteen thousand for the parking fund. Right, and that's and he has to do that because to get the federal grant for operating funds, there, there needs to be a twenty percent match from the city, right? Exactly. So, no, no, no. I was just, so you're talking about over half a million dollars in this budget that's committed to the streetcar that could be used to fund fire positions or police positions or whatever. And that's what we know. There could be more because when I first uncovered the the two hundred thirty three or so thousand dollars, I said. We're going to check further, and then we found the 315000 And just this last week, we found traffic engineer number three, which is another $119,000. Okay. So we're still checking. There could be more. Okay. Now, what, one of the things the mayor's office says is, oh, you, you guys are being alarmists because actually this is going to be revenue neutral because we've got this deal with the Potawatomi. They're going to be sponsoring this. So th- th- that sponsorship, that's going to offset some, if not all, of these costs. Okay. Well, first off, um, when he presented his budget, he deliberately used money for the streetcar that could have went for cops and firefighters. Okay, so we've got that. Now he says, after after we discovered this money, he says, oh, we're going to get Potawatomi money. We voted on a budget that did not take into account Potawatomi money. There's no contract. There's no agreement with Potawatomi. 
It may come through fruition, but that is certainly not enough to cover the operating expenses for the duration of, of the streetcar in the long haul. Not even close. Yeah, that's interesting because my understanding is even even the mayor acknowledges that within the next couple of years, um, the, the operating cost that the city of Milwaukee is going to be responsible for coming up with is going to be about $3.6 million a, a year. Now, they, they hope they hope that, you know, fair revenue is going to offset that. Good luck with that, you know. Right. There's there's no way. If they're saying that it's going to cost $3.6 million to operate, that means it's probably going to cost about 5.5 or something like that to operate because they're going to underestimate their projections to be in their favor. Um, and, of course, the, the mayor, to his credit, has made no secret of the fact that he he thinks that this is just the first step. I mean, his... His plan is obviously to, you know, tear up the, the the rest of at least downtown Milwaukee and run the streetcar line down past the New Bucks Arena and run the streetcar line out to Marquette or to UWM or or whatever. I mean, is there any way the Common Council is going to go along with this? Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you, this budget was a very tough budget. I would be hard-pressed to believe that the council would support the expansion because any future expansion is even going to be more costly to the taxpayers in Milwaukee because it's highly unlikely we're going to get any federal dollars from the present administration in D.C. And without those dollars from D.C., that means from a capital and from an operational perspective, it's going to be even more costly. Now, the other point I want to touch upon very briefly is the $59 million that the city bonded for. We bonded for $59 million this year, and with interest, by the time we pay it back, it will be over $105 million, which they say is TIF funds, which is which is an effort to confuse the public. Basically, TIF funds are future revenue that the city will forego and not realize that is going to be going for the streetcar. Now, those dollars can't be used for, for cops, but they can be used for property tax reduction and mm-hmm. reduce our debt. We are not going to see that reduction or that, that revenue of $105 million because of the streetcar. We're talking to Alderman Tony Zelensky. Tony, the, the other thing, and, and I, I really wasn't kidding, I, I was trying to drive downtown, especially east of the river on Saturday. I ended up giving up because, you, you know, the, the, the area around the public market is torn up. The, the city looks, at least that area, looks like it's a war zone. I, I have, I'm have i going to share with you one of our texts here. Jeff, two weeks ago, my wife and I and another couple went to the east side for dinner. Before, we had 45 minutes to kill, so we went to the Jefferson and Mason Street area for a quick drink. We used up 43 minutes of time driving around looking for open street parking. It's... I mean, are are you guys hearing about the, the impact that this is having on people trying to get around downtown? Not only am I hearing the type of stories that you're sharing, but I'm experiencing it firsthand. <laughs> I've got to go around these streets to hop on the home bridge to get to home in Bayview, and that's a nightmare. It's taking me about five to seven minutes longer to, to get home because of it. So, you know, I mean, th- these stories go on and on, but... You know, and obviously the the disruption of business is very serious. The inconvenience and wasting people's time in longer traffic times is very disconcerting. But I'll tell you, you know, the financial situation that the city is in is even worse than the stories that we're talking about. You know, the the mayor's talking about asking the state to help us out, you know, financially with our with our you know financial problems. And I'm thinking, I mean, how absurd! I mean, the state knows that this is a waste of money. Right. They even passed a budget amendment saying that the city cannot use any operation uh, any TIF dollars for the operation of the streetcar. That's how much they they know it's a waste of money. Now, does he really believe? Is he is he so delusional that he believes that if he goes to Madison? 
They're going to help us out. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're wasting money on the streetcar, they must be thinking, hey, things can't be that bad. Well, I think, I think you're on to something. Now, I, the, whenever we talk about this, I, I always get the inevitable feedback from some people who say, Jeff, you're, you're, you, know, you, you don't understand. This is the new way of things, and especially with Potawatomi picking up the, so the rides are going to be free for the first year, this is just going to be a huge success. And uh, am I missing something on this, Tony? I mean, because obviously if this is the key to mass transit now, I, I, you know, obviously you want to do it. I just, don't see, I just don't see the ridership being there, even for free, but certainly not if people have to pay for it. Well, if, if, you don't, if you fail to see what the mayor is saying, then I guess you're in with the vast majority of the people in Milwaukee in the outlying areas because according to the Marquette University poll, uh, the overwhelming majority of people are opposed to the streetcar. And it doesn't matter whether you live in the city or you're outside of the, the city. The percentage of people that are opposed to the streetcar are just as strong whether you're in the city or outside of the city. Yeah. And, you know, my response to, to him working his butt off to try and get money, outside money, to fund the trolley, how about working to get funding for our cops and firefighters? I'm, I'm introducing a resolution allowing the city to accept gifts to the fire department or fire department, uh, you know, to help yeah. defray the cost. I mean, why not let's go after corporations to make generous contributions for public safety? Well, I mean, interesting point. If, if Potawatomi's got a bunch of money, for example, and they're willing, they want to do something to help Pacific things, let them name a firehouse. <laughs> let them name exactly. a couple of police stations or something. Go, go after that and then use it for something that people really want. I mean, when you're when you're mayor, you you've got a lot of capital with a lot of businesses like Potawatomi, and if you go to Potawatomi and you say, "Hey, look, public safety is a big, you know, issue in this community. I'm sure it's important to you and your customers, you know, you know, at the at the Potawatomi um, establishments, you know, I'm sure that they would be willing to make a corporate contribution for public safety. But instead, he's using his pulpit as mayor to fight for funding for the streetcar. His priorities are totally wrong, and we if we're going to turn this city around, we've got established priorities. And I could tell you that the streetcar is much lower on the list than where he has it at the top of the list. Because in his budget, he's got funding for the streetcar that could have went for cops. It could have went for, for to fix the potholes in the street. It could have addressed helped address the, the sewer lateral problems. We've got a major lead lateral uh, problem in this city where our kids are, are being infected with lead that is going to inhibit their, their growth and their, their, their future. But we're going to have a nice new streetcar. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's nowhere, that doesn't even fit in the top 10, probably, of the problems that the city of Milwaukee is facing right now. Uh, Alderman Tony Zielinski, thanks for joining me this afternoon. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, Dad. He says it doesn't fit in the top 10 of the city's problems. I think I would say it probably doesn't fit in the top 500 of the city's problems. You know, this, we will call it the air trolley, which will run, what do they call it? The flop? Is that hop, flop, whatever? You know, it's, but it's going to be that air trolley. It'll be carrying air around and, and, this is it. The argument is going to be, um, because I don't think it's going to be a success even with free rides. But once you start, once once that expires after the first year, and you start charging the people, you know, and the novelty wears off, and people realize they're not going anywhere, the argument is going to be, well, the reason that we're not getting ridership is because it doesn't go where people want to go. So now we're going to have to look at spending hundreds of millions of dollars more to tear up the street to expand it to the Bucks Arena, or to expand it to Marquette, or to run it to UWM, or, or wherever. At, at which point in time the question becomes, where is that going to come from? Here's the, the interesting thing. Barrett was able to sell this 
by convincing aldermen on the Common Council. And if, if I tell you, remember the story about Jack and the Beanstalk? You know, if, if you want to talk about people buying a sack of beans, he was able to convince members of the Common Council that don't worry. I understand that this is just a downtown project, but this is going to be the first step. This is going to be such a huge success that then we're going to run it into all your districts as well, and, and you'll get all the, the benefits of this type of thing, et cetera, et cetera. It is never going to happen. He snookered a bunch of aldermen, and um, again, we're, we're going to be paying for this for a long time. It's 1250. This is Jeff Wagner. That was big story number two. Big story number three is coming up. What is the Army thinking? Stick around. 1254, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, here's one of my texts. Jeff, geez, if we went with your logic, we would still be a horse and buggy society. The streetcar will be a success. Interesting that we should use the horse and buggy analogy because the the, the streetcar is one step removed from the horse and buggy. I mean, that's when streetcars were big. That's when the trolley was big. It was a turn of the 20th century. All right, we have moved past that. And this idea that going back to... I don't know, technology that we ended up having 80, 90, 100 years ago that ended up getting torn up because it wasn't necessary and wasn't working. I, I think actually the horse and buggy analogy is pretty interesting. I, I think why bother with a streetcar? I mean, if you really want to go back in time, maybe Barrett should be going out there and, again, buying buggies and horses. That might make at least a little more sense than these fixed rail streetcar. But I, I digress. Uh, Martellus Bennett. Okay, everybody's happy that the Packers won, and they won without uh, Martellus Bennett. He was, of course, the the, the I, I don't know what it is about this family. First of all, you got Michael Bennett, who's the older brother. He's the guy that plays defensive end for the Seattle Seahawks, who is the liar. He was the one that claimed that he was the victim of, I don't know, racism in Las Vegas when he... He's in this. He's, he's in a, a casino after a fight, and it sounds like shots break out. The police come. They're trying to control the situation. They tell everybody to stay put. He runs, jumps over a barrier, flees from the police. The police catch him. Then he says, oh, it's because I was a black man in this casino. And, of course, the police officers to track him down were minorities themselves, um, but they track him down because he, he runs. But this is this is it's it's the evils of racism then you've got martellus bennett who of course the packers sign as a free agent and and let us be honest um most if not all of us myself included thought this was a great free agent signing what we didn't understand is what a low character guy this martellus bennett was first of all the guy can't catch the ball you know he was dropping passes right and left and then what happens is he quits on the team this is just i think the reality once aaron Rodgers gets hurt he decides Packers don't have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. So then he starts saying, oh, my shoulder's been hurt. My shoulder's been hurt. I, I'm going to need season-ending surgery. And, and it's been bothering me all year. So the Packers end up you know, cutting him. They say, okay, the guy says he can't play. Um, we're, we're going to end up cutting him. Um, then what happens? He surfaces in New England, catches three passes last night for 38 yards. Um, apparently the shoulder that was so supposedly injured that he couldn't play for the Packers. He was going to need season-ending, perhaps career-ending surgery. Well, mysteriously, it got better when he had a chance to play for a team that might still have a chance to go for the Super Bowl. And then the guys got the audacity to go after you know, the Packers doctor saying, 
well, you know, they were they were trying to persuade me to play through a major injury. Um, once I chose to get surgery, uh, that that this was this is outrage. They wanted me to play hurt, and of course, many of the Packer players are saying that that's that that that's nonsense. That the Packers medical staff, if anything, is overly conservative. But Bennett is saying, well, I was just playing hurt, and I they they wanted to force me to play when I really couldn't play, and then mysteriously. He ends up on the field for the New England Patriots last night catching balls. It must be a miracle. It's just a miracle. His shoulder suddenly got better. This guy is a piece of work. He was a cancer in the locker room. He is nothing but trouble, just like his brother. And I I don't know. Um, The the Packers, and again, I... I don't think it's fair to criticize somebody for a signing if you didn't do it in the first place. And I think all of us, myself included, were saying, hey, this is great. You're getting this potential all-pro tight end who just didn't work out and turns out to be about as low character a guy as you can possibly, possibly imagine. And um, hope the Packers are able to get back some of the guy's signing bonus. I don't know how it's going to work and don't know whether they're going to do it or not. But I will say this. Um, I think it's probably good riddance that Martellus Bennett isn't with the Packers anymore. And this is just, candidly, another reason not to like the New England Patriots. Just saying. All right, coming up next, big thing number three. What the heck is going on with the U.S. Army, and why did they do what they do? And then then we're going to talk about, as the deer hunting season gets ready to start, what should Wisconsin do about the problem with wolves? Stick around. It will be interesting. I guarantee it. It's 1259. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, so glad to have you with us. Big story number three. And I have to confess, it's a bizarre one to me, but I did not serve in the military. So maybe those of you who did serve in the military will say, oh, this isn't that odd to begin with. Here is the deal. The Army, apparently two or three months ago, they did not make this public. So this was unannounced. But beginning last August, they decided to, well, lift their ban on waivers for recruits with a history of certain mental health issues. Here's the way USA Today reports it. People with a history of self-mutilation, bipolar disorder, depression, and drug and alcohol abuse can now seek waivers to join the Army under this policy. The decision to open Army recruiting to those with mental health conditions comes as the service faces the challenging goal of recruiting 80,000 new soldiers through September of next year. To meet last year's goal of 69,000, the Army accepted more recruits who failed poorly on aptitude tests. In other words, they're dumbing it down. Um, increased the number of waivers granted for marijuana use and offered hundreds of millions of dollars in bonuses. Expanding the waivers for mental health is possible because the Army now says it has access to more mental health information about each potential recruit. Um, So they will be accepting potentially recruits who have these mental health issues. Bipolar disorder, 
a history of self-mutilation, depression, and drug and alcohol abuse. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that we have made advancements in the treatments of various types of of mental illnesses. I I get it. But I understand that people who, for example, are are bipolar, um, that situation can be controlled. Emphasis on the word controlled. Controlled by, you know, taking, you know, medication. Uh, That's less so for people who have a history of self-mutilation. But, and I also appreciate that, you know, we have these recruiting goals and we have a voluntary service, military service, and, and you want to get more, you know, people signed up. At the same time, I, I try to find myself, I don't know, thinking of, of a Bo Bergdahl situation. And you have a, a soldier who's clearly got some mental health issues himself, posted in the middle of nowhere in a foreign country who decides to, you know, all right, I, I'm unhappy with what's going on. I'm going to walk away from my post and try to walk 30 miles. I, I don't know. At, at some point in time, I appreciate that you've got to change and lower and be willing to alter standards. But this just doesn't. With all due respect to the mental health profession, it does not strike me as being a good idea to allow potential waivers for certain conditions. Like, again, if somebody's diagnosed as bipolar, if they take their meds, you can control that situation. But what about in a stressful situation? What about if the person stops taking their meds? What are you going to do? How are you going to know that in a timely fashion? What about the person that's engaged in... um, uh, you know, again, the, the self-mutilation type of issue. What about the person that has the history of drug abuse? You take them, you put them in some sort of stressful type of situation where there's all these other triggers that are out there. Uh, again, this just strikes me as as a reckless sort of policy. Now, I understand they're just saying that you can apply for waivers. They're not saying we're automatically going to accept everyone, but still. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does this strike you as being a good idea? And again, with all due respect to the mental professionals that are out there, I, I just it strikes me that this is potentially a recipe for disaster. Let's start with Pat in Milwaukee. Pat, you're first. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi, Pat. Hi, Jeff. First of all, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, this topic uh, strikes a nerve with me, as I told you, Screener. I'm a veteran, both from the United States Navy and Vietnam, and the Army post-Vietnam. And in light of how our VA medical programs are struggling and having all kinds of problems and trying to overcome a whole lot of problems and deal with the onslaught of new problems with homecoming vets, yes, I think by accepting people with pre-existing conditions like this, putting them in a situation where combat can affect them uh, exponentially, yeah. and and now these become another problem of the Veterans Administration to deal with when these people come home. Uh, I, 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 I want yeah. people to get all the help they need, and I want people with mental health issues to be a, uh, a contributing member to our society, but I don't think the military is the place to put them. Unless, of course, you can find some non-combat positions that don't even put these people in the, li- in the line of fire, so to speak, that can trigger 
an amplification of the mental health issue. But then you run into the question of, is that even fair? I mean, if you're trying to meet your recruiting goals and, all right, let's assume for the sake of argument that, you know, most people aren't going to necessarily want to be deployed and sent to Afghanistan or wherever. All right, if to, in order to meet the recruiting goals, we've got to take 10,000 people who, you know, have to apply for the mental, you know, health illness, you know, waiver. All right. And then you're, those people are automatically going to be excluded. But you say if somebody's got a history of self-mutilation, we can't send them to the front lines. How is that fair to the other people, you know, who've signed up that, you know, now their number is more likely to come up? I agree, and I think this is a, a, a problem that may perhaps only be answered by the draft. If well, we're having such a difficult time to recruit people voluntarily for the military, I think maybe we should recruit for the uh, implement the draft and get these young people, especially some of these people. You know, I would be more in favor of, of lowering the uh, enlistment requirements for people that have some minor uh, criminal uh, infractions that want to find a way to straighten out their life. And the military can be a springboard for that because it was very, very popular in the 50s and 60s for people like get in a little trouble with the law. A judge tells them, you know, join up for a military young man. And, uh, yeah, right, and, and you right, and it's either the military or, or go to jail for a while. No, thanks, Dakota. Yeah. I mean, I, I, at some point in time, you know, I think it's an interesting conversation about the draft. I don't think we're anywhere close to that at this point in time. And I appreciate that you need to figure out ways to to bring in soldiers. I have just always believed that lowering standards and and again, I don't mean this to be insulting to people who are you know dealing and fighting with mental illness and things alike, but we're in some cases we're talking about serious sort of stuff here and again i pre i mean the, the self mutilation thing um just really caught my attention as does the whole bipolar issue with again i understand it could be controlled by medication but what about the situation where you know the person under a stressful situation decides that that they're going to stop taking their their meds and you, and you don't find out about that right away that's that's a concern to me shane in Sheboygan. shane you're on 620 wtmj hi jeff hi, shane. Um, my, my my biggest concern is the bipolar portion because what happens we all know we're right now potential war with north korea not saying it's going to happen but let's just be honest that is a possibility and a concern right now what happens if that gets declared tomorrow you have this young man who's controlling bipolar with the medication, and then he randomly gets trapped behind enemy lines with his unit. Cut off from supplies. Now he has no way of controlling this. Would you, putting yourself in the CO's situation, would you want to be worrying about that on top of trying to keep your people alive and yeah. keep them safe? Yeah, I, I mean, it just it just raises all those different types of issues. I mean, now thanks for call Again, g- coupled with the stress that you already have, of serving in in the military that's and there, there's a reason why i mean the truth of the matter is there's a reason why they had these rules in place and i understand the military is going to explain i thought it was interesting that they made this this was unannounced they didn't want people to know about this if i really believed it was because they thought there'd been such advances in connection with mental health issues that they were able to you know really make sure that everybody that gets the help they need is going to get the help they need that then i might be more inclined to go along with it but i don't think that's the case at all i think the truth is they're having trouble meeting their recruiting targets for whatever reason and so they've decided to again alter the standards at which point in time you begin to wonder all right is is this really the way to go 
That is big story number three. Coming up, a very controversial, as long as we're talking about the military, a very controversial decision involving, well, some Marines who did something that some people were appalled at a number of years ago. I've got an update on it. Stick around. It's 121. This is Jeff Wagner. 124, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. You may remember a couple years ago, there was a huge story and a lot of controversy about a Marine sniper. His name was Joseph Chamberlain. He was a staff sergeant. He was convicted back in 2012 and sentenced to 30 days confinement. He was demoted. He had his pay docked over a video that showed him and other Marines um, who were in Afghanistan, and they were, I'm going to be blunt here, urinating on the bodies of enemy corpses. Remember that? That was the story. And these were these were snipers who were out in the field and who had killed some of the enemy, and then they took this picture of themselves doing that. Um, uh, the staff sergeant said at the time, Um, that he did not regret his actions, adding he would do it again if he had the chance. If anything, it was more of a psychological effect on the enemy because if an infidel touches the body, they're not going to Mecca or Paradise, he told reporters at the time. So now um, these insurgents see what happens if you mess with us. So that's it. This is a combat situation. You've got people that are trying to kill these Marines, and they are, you know, trying to, again, find the insurgents and kill them. You might remember this. Well, I mean, there was this huge outrage that broke out, and the staff sergeant, like I say, was convicted five years ago of improper behavior. Well, the update is that that conviction has now been overturned because apparently what happened is uh, then Lieutenant the lieutenant general of the Marines, his name was Thomas Waldhauser, apparently um, had interfered with the case and apparently had gone to the officers that were involved in presiding over the court-martial and said that these Marines needed to be crushed and discharged from the Corps over their behavior. Um, and then apparently what happened, that was the, he was the lieutenant general who was presiding. He said that... Um, People above him try to pressure him into doing this, and now that there's been a finding that, yes, this is what happened, and there, there was undue pressure that was put on, on these soldiers. But it's raising this whole question again of, you know, the soldiers' behavior. I want to open up the phone lines. Just one segment, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You may remember this video, and this this recent ruling overturning the conviction has now brought this to the forefront. These Marines say, hey, look, you put us in a combat situation. We've got people, insurgents, who are trying to kill us. We are trying to kill them. We are in a war. Yes, we killed these people, and yes, we did this as a way of conducting our own form of psychological warfare. These are people that are trying to kill us, and yes, we did this, and we're sorry if some people were offended, but we were trying to send a message to the other members of the Taliban who were trying to kill us. Should these machine Marines have been disciplined? Is it an outrage that their conviction was overturned, or 
Should this case have never been brought in the first place? 414-799-1620. I will tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 127. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 136. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Giannis and the Bucks continue their homestand tonight against the Memphis Grizzlies. Ted Davis is live from the corner of Forest and State with our Buckshot coverage beginning at 640 this evening. A couple big wins for the Bucks over the weekend. Let's face it, the first 10 games of the year kind of underperformed a little. They were 4-6. and six. Big win Friday night on the road at San Antonio. Great game. Win against the Los Angeles Lakers on Saturday night. So now they're back at 500. This, uh, the, the pickup of Bledsoe. Okay, what's his first name, Drew? I, Eric. I kept wanting to, I, I, I keep wanting to say Drew Bledsoe, the former NFL quarterback. Eric Bledsoe, that looks like, especially once the guy gets his legs back, looks like it's going to be just a great addition to the team. All right. I know, actually, if you are having work done at your house or houses, um, this first couple days are going to be fine. But then starting like about Thursday, um, good luck, because every contractor I know, painter, contractor, whatever, they're gone for a few days because deer hunting season starts, and that's okay. I have no problem with that at all, but deer hunting season starts, what, next Saturday morning? So eh, starting about Thursday, you know, people are going to be getting ready to leave, and then some people will be back early part of next week. Some people will be gone all, all the week. Deer hunting is a big deal. In Wisconsin, over 600,000 licenses will probably be sold. All right, if you are in the Northwoods particularly, though, you want to be on the lookout, hope you get your deer, but you need to be on the lookout for something else, which is making it more difficult for you to get your deer, and that is the gray wolf. Now, follow me on this. Here's the background. Um, the, the Great Lake wolves, gray wolves, were placed on the endangered species list a number of years ago. So essentially, you could do nothing but allow the, these wolves to populate and to do what they wanted to do. Um, As a result of that, um, there's a lot of gray wolves, especially like in Wisconsin now. Um, Back in 2012, the Obama administration removed the Great Lakes wolves from the endangered species list. That allowed Wisconsin, Michigan, and Minnesota to take over managing the animals. Wisconsin held three wolf hunting seasons, all right? Um, Problem was... Then back in 2014, another one of these federal judges, this was a liberal federal judge who, uh, again, they confuse their role. Liberal federal judge came in and said, nope, nope, the administration doesn't have the authority to remove the gray wolves from the endangered species list. And because there's still a shortage of these in some parts of the country, even though there's not a shortage of gray wolves in Wisconsin, we're going to put them back on the endangered species list. So that ended wolf trapping and hunting, and it prevented farmers from killing wolves that attack their animals. I mean, that's the state of the law right now. You've got these gray wolves. If you've got a farm up north, the gray wolf attacks your animals. You're, you're legally prevented from killing them. Wisconsin's wolf population has been increasing ever since. The DNR says that last winter there were between 925 and 952 wolves roaming the state last winter. That's up from 866 to 897 wolves the previous winter. So this population, not only is number one, is it not endangered, but it is growing. 
So far, the DNR records show that there's been 39 confirmed wolf attacks on hunting dogs, cattle, sheep, and one pet dog so far this year. Last year, the DNR recorded 76 wolf attacks. Now, I bring this up because there's a new bill that's being introduced in both the Assembly and the Senate. Under the bill, essentially, this is designed to try to force the federal government to get its act together. Under the bill, the DNR would be prohibited from spending any money to manage wolves other than to reimburse people for losses caused by wolves. Police and wardens would be barred from enforcing federal or state law relating to wolf management that prohibits killing of wolves. DNR wouldn't be allowed to communicate with the federal government about enforcing wolf management laws or support federal enforcement efforts. It would not apply if President Trump's administration removes wolves from the endangered species list. Um, what happened is they did something similar um, in, what, Idaho. And as a result of that, what happened is that they ended up, that, that pressured the government to take wolves off this list. There's a bill that would remove wolves in Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, and Wyoming from the endangered species list, but it's sitting in the U.S. Senate and hasn't been voted on Yes. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. This, to me, is a classic example of a well-intended, initially government policy that has outlived its usefulness and is now creating havoc. If you are a farmer in the Northwoods, or you know you're just a resident in the north woods and you live in the part the northern part of the state you have now have close to a thousand of these gray wolves who are running around preying on animals preying on the deer including the deer population people's pets farm animals etc and you've got a federal judge on the east coast who essentially says there's nothing that you can do about this this to me is the height of absurdity it is a huge issue. This is something, especially given the fact that the wolf population has been increasing so dramatically. At some point in time, I think you have to let the homeowners, the property owners, the hunters or whatever, you know, start to cull the herd as it were. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it is way past time to again recognize that the gray wolves, at least in Wisconsin, are not an endangered species. And we have to give the state of Wisconsin, DNR, whether it's through wolf hunts or whatever, the ability to manage these predators because right now they are not endangered and they are causing huge, huge problems. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 143. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 147. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're going deer hunting this weekend, you want to watch out for wolves. The, The gray wolves were originally part of the endangered species list. In 2012, the Obama administration through their EPA recognizing, through their U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, recognizing that in certain states, including Wisconsin, the population had regenerated, they were no longer endangered, removed them from the list. The Humane Society got all upset, filed a lawsuit about this Humane Society of the United States, and a federal judge in Washington, D.C., telling people in Wisconsin, 
northern Wisconsin particularly, said, oh, can't remove these from the list. You have to allow them to essentially run wild. And that has been what has been happening since then as the population continues to increase. There's some legislation in Wisconsin trying to force the state's hand, trying to force the hand of the federal government. But this is a huge problem. I think it is ridiculous that we in Wisconsin can't trap these things and that you can't shoot these things to have these predators simply be allowed to run wild, kill deer, attack people's pets, attack other animals, I think is nothing short of ridiculous. Mike in West Bend. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Good Mike. topic. I've got a place in northern Wisconsin, and on the other side of the Brule River, I have a place in Michigan. So it's, it's rare for me to see wolves, and I do a lot of trapping all winter. But I like wild things in wild country, but these things have to be managed. Mm-hmm. And it's like they put their head in the sand. I know the, of the livestock predation that's been going on from Vilas County West. Um, it's been a tough role in the UP, which will never allow trapping no matter what because um, of Lansing. But I think the state's doing a, finally someone's sticking up for yeah. the people in northern Wisconsin. It's ruining a deer economy up there. Yeah. And billion-dollar business, you know, we all know this. And I have no idea. I get so frustrated because Johnson's on board, Baldwin's on board, Duffy's on board. Right. But boy, old Mitch McConnell, he says, well, I'll put it through if you build me a bridge. Yeah, it, well, right. The endangered, right. The, I mean, thanks to call right. You could short-circuit this whole thing by passing this uh, a bill um, because, I mean, the, the history of the litigation was that the EPA removed the wolves from the endangered species list. Um, a federal judge says it's arbitrary and capricious. Huh? Um, but, but the Senate could take care of this by simply, uh, again, you know, amending the law, and they're not able to get anywhere. But this is, again, it, it's a huge problem. I understand if you live in urban Milwaukee and you never go out of the area, you don't get this. But for people who live up in that area, I mean, imagine this. You're being terrorized by the, these wolves. The population is growing, and you can't legally track them, trap them. You can't shoot them if they're attacking your animals. You just have to essentially allow yourself to be victimized. 414-799-1620. Andy in Watoma. Andy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good, good afternoon. I don't get the wrong idea. I'm all for managing the wolves um, and trapping them, shooting them, and between mm-hmm. all of those people in the know, you know damn well that they get trapped and shot uh, as well. I don't agree with taking uh, enforcement stuff away because I see it as a parallel to taking enforcement away from the cooperating with ICE for illegal aliens. I don't like the technique. Um, I think this judge should, you know, through whatever means, overturn that right. nutjob nut judge. But I disagree entirely with withdrawing compliance funds because it's kind of the same vein as ignoring laws you don't like. I don't like the law. I think it's ridiculous. Right, but and what they're trying to do is they're trying to pressure a change. They're, they're trying to pressure the federal government to change, just like the federal government forces the state to have a 21-year-old drinking age by threatening federal highway money. This is kind of that thing in reverse. But I, no, thanks for calling. I understand what you're saying. You don't like the technique, and and I, I appreciate that, that, that point. I guess I'm more interested in this larger issue of the fact that, that people, particularly in the northern part of Wisconsin, are being held hostage by this, this wolf population that maybe years ago belonged on the endangered species list. But the fact that, you know, they were protected for so many years, 
um, and they are now growing almost exponentially, and, and nobody appears to be willing to do anything. And so you say to the homeowners up there, all right, too bad, it's your problem. You know, okay, the tourism industry is it's, it's hurting that because the wolves prey on the deer, and, and everybody says, oh, okay, you know, what? what's the big deal about that? Let's talk to Jenny and Racine. Hi, Jenny, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Um, my perspective on this is I'm from Racine, but I have a horse in Caledonia, which is like the northwestern kind of part of Racine. Right. And we don't have problems with wolves down here, to my knowledge. But I can empathize with anybody in the northern part of the state who does. And what I think this law is going to do is people are going to protect themselves against the wolves, and they're just going to hide it. They're going to... Yeah. If the wolf is attacking their animal, they're going to shoot it, they're going to do what they can, and then they're just going to try to hide it so that they don't get prosecuted for breaking a law. I have a text from somebody who I'm not going to mention the name, but it says, here's how you handle it. It's the three S's, shoot, shovel, and shut up, <laughs> which is exactly what you're right. talking about. Yeah. Right. And why can't the, the Environmental Protection Agency or the Humane Society do some do a a trapping program of their right. own and release them in another area where the wolf population is still low. Right, because right under the if you're protecting the Endangered Species Act, my, my understanding is you can't even be trapped. I mean, they you can't do anything, you know, to the to these predators except again allow them to you know kill your cattle or kill your cows or kill the deer or whatever. Sure. No, I, I right, but now they're not on the Endangered Species Act, right? No, now they they, they were put back on. That's the problem. So oh, you, you can't okay. see. That's the problem. You can't live trap. You can't. You're not allowed right now. You're not allowed to do anything. Whether it's you know, uh, like for example, if they weren't on the list, you're exactly right. The DNR could say, okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna start a live trapping thing, and we're gonna try to catch them, and we're gonna try to remove them. I don't know how tough it is to to, you know, to trap wolves, but you can't even do that now. You can't do anything to these animals right now. Yeah, no, thanks. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's just ridiculous in my opinion because, like, I and I love animals. I love wolves. I love all animals. But I have animals of my own. And like I said, if there was a wolf attacking me or a family member or one of my niece, my niece or nephew, yeah. one of my animals, I'm going to protect what's mine and just try yeah. to hide it. No, right. Thanks. Well, I mean, see, now I have, I have admittedly carried on about this with the, with the advent of coyotes or coyotes or however you want to say it. Um, depends on what part of the country you grew up in as to how you pronounce that word. But, you know, I mean, around here in southeastern Wisconsin, you know, the coyotes or coyotes have gotten much more aggressive to the point that they're attacking people's pets and things like that. Well, I mean, you know, coyotes are a problem. But, you know, coyotes, you know, wolves are an exponentially greater problem as well. Have a number of uh, texts here. Tom from West Bend text. The economy up in the northern part of the states depends on the business from deer hunters. I can tell you that there are thousands of hunters that no longer hunt some of these areas that are causing, you know, economic downfalls. Um, yes, I mean, that's part of it. Another text, the reason why um, a lot of hunters quit hunting the far north, there are no deer left, and that is because of the, uh, that is because of the wolves. Um, yes. Yes, yes, yes. That that that's all true, and that's why again we need to have some sort of common sense approach to this. That common sense, in my opinion, approach starts with getting this legislation moving through the U.S. Senate that looks at it and says, "All right, at least in Wisconsin, and I think also in Michigan, and I think also in Minnesota." But I just want to talk about Wisconsin right now. 
these wolves are no longer endangered and you need to start allowing the DNR to go back to what it did for two years between 2012 and 2014 and managing them. And, and maybe that's maybe that's wolf hunts. They did it three times a year for those two years. Maybe it's some sort of live trapping program. But the farmers can't be held victims. And the people who depend on tourism can't be held victims of this overpopulation of wolves that is increasing on a daily basis. It's 156. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 2-8. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right, at the start of the program is our big story number one. We talked a little bit about the Roy Moore situation. And, again, I I, I don't know what happened 38 years ago one way or the other. I, I will say this. that The guy was 30 or 32, and he's dating, and I put that in quotation marks, 14 and 15 and 16-year-old girls. That is weird. That is creepy. That is not a normal situation. And I understand some people are saying, well, it's Alabama. I'm sorry. A 32-year-old man sniffing around a 15-year-old girl is not a normal situation. Take that with you want. So anyhow, there is now a, a new accuser that's come forward. She's represented by the celebrity star-chasing lawyer, Gloria Allred. And I admit, anytime Gloria Allred touches something, um, I, I'm immediately skeptical because she is... Um, well, I, I, just, I don't have a lot of respect for her, but that doesn't mean her clients are necessarily lying. So there's a new accuser that's come forward. Her name is Beverly Young Nelson. She says she was 15. She was a waitress in Gadsden, Alabama at a restaurant where Moore was a regular. So this goes back, I think, to 1977. So you're talking 40 years ago. He was the DA or an assistant DA at the time. She says uh, she's she's 15 years old. She's a waitress at the restaurant. He was a regular. I get the impression this is like a diner or something. Um, he said that she would he would regularly touch her hair, compliment her looks, and flirt with her without her responding. All right. Well, I don't even care about the without her responding things. He's 30-some years old. She's 15. If it's true, why are you flirting with her? She says, I had a boyfriend. Second, even if I had not had a boyfriend, I was not interested in dating or having a sexual relationship with a man twice my age. Yeah, that's, you know, I mean, yes, that makes sense to me. Uh, Nelson says that Moore asked to write in her yearbook. He wrote in my yearbook as follows. To a sweeter, more beautiful girl, I could not say. Merry Christmas, 1977. Love, Roy Moore, D.A. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I mean, let, let us take another step back uh, again. If I was district attorney at the age of 32 and, I don't know, some some 15-year-old waitress asked me to sign her yearbook, I, I, I don't know what I would write, but Gru, who's producing the show today, I, I'm pretty sure I would not write... Um, to a sweeter, more beautiful girl, I could not say Merry Christmas, love Roy Moore. I, I don't know what my inscription would be, but it wouldn't be that. Anyhow, she says that one night her boyfriend hadn't showed, to pick, showed up to pick her up at the diner. Moore noticed. He offered me a ride home. She accepted. He was the district attorney. She thought, what could happen there? And then she goes on to say that um, instead of driving her home, he parked in between the dumpster and the back of the restaurant. Hmm, sounds like a romantic place. 
And at that point in time, he then began groping her, and it goes on from there. Um, the, the, just the more you hear about this, and again, whether you believe he sexually assaulted the, these women or not, it it, it just it, it doesn't, to me, this is not a guy who should be in the United States Senate. I just can't get past the, whether it's a sexual assault or not, I, I I, clearly, I think the one thing that's uncontrovertible is this guy in his thirty year, thirty when he's thirty or thirty two years old, he's interested in dating children, and that to me, I understand it was a long time ago, but but even so, that that raises the type type of character issues that are are just disqualifying, much less the the other stuff that people allege occurred. Um, just saying. All right, uh, another update. Uh, this is. It hasn't gotten a lot of attention out here, but um, people have been following it in Washington. Robert Menendez, who is a Democratic senator from New Jersey, has been on trial the last couple weeks. He is accused in federal court of being part of a bribery scheme. Um, the allegations are that there was this Florida ophthalmologist who gave Menendez donations and gifts in exchange for political favors. This has been watched extremely closely because if Menendez is convicted and has to step down, Chris Christie is the Republican governor of New Jersey, and at least for a couple more months, Christie would be the one that appoints the successor. So he could appoint a Republican. Um, Of course, there's now going to be a Democratic governor coming in. But the bottom line is it all presupposes a conviction. Uh, the jury, after only a couple hours of deliberation, has announced that it's it's hung. It's deadlocked on all charges. It can't agree on any of the 12 counts of bribery. The judge ordered the jury to clear their heads and come back and resume deliberations the next day. Um, typically, typically when they when they deliberate and they're unable to reach a verdict, it doesn't often change. But um, that's what's going on now the jury appears to be hung in the menendez trial all right this story and belinda has been reporting it all day i I lump it in the category of no good deed goes unpunished all right here's the deal um there's a woman in kenosha her name is arnetta griffin and what she has been doing for a while now is that she has been making meals in her kitchen twice a day packaging them up and delivering them to homeless people along 22nd Avenue in in Kenosha. She said she'd been worried about homeless people in the neighborhood when a nearby shelter closed and she felt driven by her religious faith to help. So she's, she's making food at home and she's giving it to homeless people. She calls her efforts God's Kitchen of Kenosha. She's making the food using her own money. Like I say, she's distributing it twice a day with the help of her family. She now serves as many as 100 meals a day. And her story's been getting some attention, so people have been donating money. They think, hey, this, this, is this, this is this great thing. All right, here's the category of no good deed goes unpunished. Um, somebody apparently complained to the Division of Health to look into the legality of her serving meals. Uh, The county says, well, state law exempts people who provide meals for free from the restaurant codes. So the restaurant codes don't apply. But, and here's the big but, said that under the law, she is required to prepare the food in a commercial kitchen. 
So since she's giving the food away on this level, she has to prepare it in a commercial uh, kitchen. The, the lady, I'm, I'm looking at the story in the Kenosha News, she said, they were nice about it. They really were. They said, they're, they're not shutting me down right now, but I know it's going to come. Um, she said she's approaching churches in the area to see if one would be willing to donate their kitchen for her use. Um, she said, I'd like to stay in the uptown you know, area if, if possible, um, Kenosha says, hey, we're trying to, you know, reach out to other places as well. If we could find a commercial kitchen that she could use, it would be so much better than her. But, I mean, the, the larger point is they recognize she's doing a good thing. But nonetheless, they're saying, hey, you know, we, we might be in a position of having to close you down because somebody, we're not saying who, complained. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I understand that for food preparation you want you want things to be safe and and you certainly want there to be health codes and you want that to be followed. At the same time, this is not a business that this lady is engaging in. I mean, she's not making money off this. She is doing this out of the goodness of her heart. And I guess I find myself wondering if I decided that I wanted to make, now I'm not a cook, but if I wanted to make, I don't know, 50 peanut butter gel and jelly sandwiches and deliver them to, I don't know, a homeless encampment or drive along the streets and, and hand them out to people who looked like they were hungry, I mean, is it really in anybody's interest to force this woman or to force me to have to use a commercial kitchen? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that this might be what the law says, but is this the case where maybe we should make an exception? Is this the type of thing where somebody trying to help other people not not for any commercial sort of purpose at all, using her own money or money that has been donated to her, now should she be forced into having to use a commercial kitchen? This isn't a business. Clearly, if this is a business, if she was selling stuff, obviously these requirements apply. But is it reasonable to apply this in her case? 414-799-1620. I think under the circumstances, if I were Kenosha, I'd either be looking for a waiver or looking the other way. This reminds me, honestly, of the stories where you have the kids every summer that go up and they set up the lemonade stand, and then you get some Grinch who wants to shut them down saying, well, you know, they don't have the restaurant license and they're selling lemonade. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 218. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so if you're just tuning in, here's the deal. There, there's this lady in Kenosha who saw that, like, the, the local rescue mission had closed down, and she became concerned that the homeless people, some of the homeless people in the area weren't getting food. She started making food out of her kitchen that she would deliver. Now she delivers about 100 meals a day, twice. 100 meals total, I think, twice a day to like homeless people around the area. She makes the food in her own kitchen. She doesn't sell it. She puts up her own money to do this, although she has gotten a few donations. The Kenosha, essentially, Board of Health gets a complaint from somebody. They're not saying who, saying, hey, you know, she, she needs to have a commercial kitchen 
Um, and so now she's in a position where unless she can find a commercial kitchen to use for this volunteer operation, she's going to end up being shut down. All right, my point is this seems to me to be, well, uh, again, I don't know who complained, but this seems to me to be one where we should either make an exception or we should perhaps look the other way. How can you say that? Well, I, I say it because... This fits into the category to me of no good deed goes unpunished. Let's start with Jean in Janesville. Jean, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jean. God bless her. Yes. No doubt. And uh, are you sure it was a complaint? Maybe somebody wanted to do the same thing and was just checking out the rules, and that's how that came up. They said it was a complaint, the story I have, but you know who? So, they, they, but who knows? Yeah. So think of your kitchen. Mm-hmm. Think of feeding 100 meals and think of making something from raw chicken. Do you have room in your refrigerator to properly store raw chicken until you make it? No. That's one of the most dangerous foods. Right. So you have got a population that's the most susceptible to illness and food poisoning, the homeless, the elderly, the infirm. God bless her for doing it. But if she came to my church, we're licensed, and she wanted to do the same thing, she'd have to follow all the licenses so we wouldn't lose our license mm-hmm. if something bad happened out of there. I, the minute you said she was starting to do 100 meals, I thought, oh, she's in trouble. Yeah, and she I, is. I, I get, what, what if, I what if it was? Good intentions, I, but lemonade is not going to kill you. Chicken improperly cooked will kill you. Mm-hmm. Well, but I, I guess if, if she's storing it improperly or she doesn't know what she's doing, does it matter whether she's using the commercial kitchen or not? Well, if she's in a commercial kitchen, then they're going to put they're going to watch her closer. I'm sure. I'm not saying that's the solution, right? But I totally get when you're feeding people who are the most susceptible, you've got a responsibility. And I know she's not trying to do anything. To right. Them. What What I if it was it. fewer than hundred? It, what if What if, if she was only feeding ten or twenty? What if so she was feeding ten or twenty? Would you feel differently about that? Could you feed a dinner party of 20 out of your home kitchen? Probably. Yes. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, are there other dangers? But if she's not proper, I mean, there's so many different proteins and all this kind of stuff that you can go wrong with. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all live in a little bit of it. It's better to have food than no food. I get all of that. But I, I get when she's getting to a higher amount and she doesn't mean it. Nobody does. Nobody intends to hurt anybody. But sure. who's... Does she realize the liability she has if somebody gets sick? Well, but I mean, I guess I guess she's willing to take that risk. What if I, I look? I, I'm not a cook, but what, what if, if I, I what? Well, I what if I saw the need? What if I if I perceive the need and I decide I'm going to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for a hundred and I'm going to deliver that? Should I be able to do that out of my home? I would say absolutely. Okay. Because peanut butter and jelly are not a high risk food. Okay. Now, thanks for calling. I, I, and I don't know what she's serving, but I mean, I guess that. What, what we're talking about then is we're talking about matters of degree. I don't know what she's making. I, I, I don't know what the foods are. I just think, um, I mean, I, I, I appreciate, I mean, I appreciate what the different concerns are. I don't know if she's making, you know, chicken or fish. Um, I mean, she's cooking these, these different meals. And I guess I, I, part of my concern is if you think she's not able to do it, my guess is it's not going to make much difference whether or not she's in a commercial condition of food condition of commercial facility or or not using a commercial restaurant because if she doesn't have those skills and, and you say you know what if somebody gets sick and i'm not trying to i'm not trying to poo poo that but at the same time 
shouldn't there be perhaps some kind of like risk sharing? Hey, this came out of somebody's kitchen. You take the chance as to whether you want to eat it or not. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Ken in Kenosha. Ken, you're on 620 WTMJ. You're neck of the woods. Good afternoon. Oh, sir. Hey, uh, first of all, a uh, long-time listener, first caller. Thank you for calling. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Yeah, I, when I when I read the story online, the story on Facebook, I was like, first of all, God bless this lady. Yep. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I think there should be an exception, at least until she can get maybe a personal history or something. Uh, I mean, the lady from Gainesville has a very good point, I guess, now that I heard her yeah. point of view on that, um, because there is, cause it is a lot of meals. Um but still, she, there should be an exception there. I mean, God bless her. Yeah, I mean, I guess that, I mean, see, and that's that's what I wrestle with. Yeah, could I feed 100 people twice a day um, out of, can a normal person out of out of their kitchen? No. And I, I mean, I understand. The only bad guy here, in my opinion, might be whoever the Grinch was that, that turned this lady in. Because, I mean, I, I, I understand that there are concerns about this. But at the same time, she's, she's trying to do God's work. And unless, I mean, I don't know. I mean, what's the deal going to be now? If I'm sitting in the park and there's a homeless guy on a bench next to me and, and I want to, I don't know, share my bag lunch with him um, that, that, you know, I made at home, um, am, am I going to be liable for that because, well, they might be able to get sick from that? Or, I mean, you see, that that's the issue. And the question is, you know, where do you end up drawing the line? This is one where, I, I mean, honestly, if this is that big a concern, and candidly, again, I'm, I'm not sure, if this woman doesn't have the appropriate hygiene and health habits and things like that, I'm not necessarily convinced that a commercial kitchen is going to make any difference because she's still going to be, you know, bringing in the items. I mean, our, our, our caller, Jean, was saying, well, what about, you know, how, how you keep, you know, the chicken cold and stuff like that? Well, I mean, my, my guess is she's, she's going to you, you'd go out to the market You'll buy the chicken, or she'll buy the chicken, keep it at home, and then bring it to the commercial kitchen for preparation. I mean, I, th- there's all those different variables that are there. I, I think the question becomes, do you treat her like a restaurant, and, and, and you don't under state law, or do you treat her like a good Samaritan who's simply trying to do the right thing? In any event, I, I hope Kenosha is not in a rush to close this lady down. It's 228. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 2.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Giannis and the Bucks continue their homestand this evening against the Memphis Grizzlies. Ted Davis is live from the corner of 4th and State with our Buckshots coverage beginning at 6.40 this evening. Okay, now I have a confession to make. I am a... I'm not really a car guy. I, I have friends who are car guys. To me, automobile... Now, I, I, I like a nice car, but to me, reliability... Um, has always been kind of the the most important thing, and I admit, I, I I now I have gadget envy. I mean, I told this story on the radio several times. I I for the longest time I, I drove cars that didn't have like all the new bells and whistles. Well, my new car does, and I I love the heated seats. I love the rear view camera. I love all the computer stuff. I love the fact that the brights automatically come on when you're driving down country road, dark country roads. I love all that stuff to the point that I'd have trouble going back. But I've I've never been one of these guys that, you know, spend a ton of money for big muscle cars. Now, I, I, 
My, my second car, my late wife's car, she has a VW Beetle that's fully tricked out. And it's got a big engine in it, and it's fun to drive. I mean, I admit I'll drive it around. It's fun because it's got really great pickup because it's a little car with a big engine. It's, it's kind of fun to drive. But, you know, day in, day out, eh, I, I just – I would rather have, you know, perform. I would. I mean, I don't need the giant muscle car. Obviously, I want the car that's got a big enough engine so I'm accelerating and get on the freeway. I, I don't get run over by the trucks. But it's never been that big a thing to me. Gru, who is producing the show today. Have you ever been to Universal Studios in Hollywood, in uh, Florida? You have. Okay, you know the Incredible Hulk ride, the roller coaster? Giant roller coaster. My, my brother got the roller coaster gene in our family. I didn't. But this thing, you know, it goes out over the water. You're upside down within a second. It goes zero to 40 in two seconds. Zero to 40. That's the roller coaster. And I don't go on it. I just say, okay, I'll, I'll, hold, your, I'll hold your beer, Scott. Go ahead. Have fun. So I, I didn't get the roller coaster gene in our family. All right. But it's zero. The Incredible Hulk ride zero to 40 in two seconds. All right. I bring this up because... Fiat Chrysler has just started shipping the 2018 Dodge Challenger SRT Demon to dealers. Um, They are making 3,300 of these. 300 are going to stay in Canada. The rest are presumably coming to the United States. Here is what this car is. It is a limited production, 6.2-liter Hemi V8 engine. It delivers 840 horsepower. Dodge says this car is the industry's first street-legal production drag car. The National Hot Rod Association has certified it as the world's fastest quarter-mile production vehicle. Um, The car apparently, let me see, I've got the specs here. It goes 0 to 60 in 2.3 seconds. The Incredible Hulk roller coaster goes 0 to 40 in 2 seconds. Goes 0 to 60 in 2.3 seconds. It's covered a quarter mile in 9.65 seconds at 140 miles an hour. Um, Here is the deal. Interestingly, Automotive News, which is the leading trade publication covering the auto industry, they've come out with an editorial saying this car, the Demon, should be banned. They say the car is so inherently dangerous to the common safety of motorists that its registration as a roadworthy automobile should be banned. Um, They say it's got barely legal tires. It has massive acceleration. There there is no reason that this thing should be street legal. Um, To which, you know, Chrysler said, look, the people who buy this are performance enthusiasts and having a custom car with accessories that improve overall performance is critical. Like I say, the dealer, they're going to make about 3,000 of these. It starts at $85,000. That's what it starts at. I don't know what features you get on it. That includes a $1,700 gas guzzler tax, um, but excludes a $1,000 destination charge. Um, There's also a range of accessories aimed at maximizing the dragster's thrill. So you start at eighty-five grand, and you go from there. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This vehicle is controversial 
because, well, there's many reasons it's controversial. But most notably, there's a lot of, including people in the automobile industry, who just don't think that this is the type of thing that should be viewed as being street legal. That given everything that goes on on the roadways, you don't need a vehicle that goes this fast, that accelerates in this fashion. And again, the way Automotive News describes it, you know, they consider it essentially to be, you know, a, a menace to, um, you know, general general transportation. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. Would you want a car like this? And is this a car that should be on the roadways? I mean, let's face it. There, there's no... There's no reason to own a car like this unless you want to go really fast. I mean, my guess is the people that are buying this car aren't planning to drive 55. 241, Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. Uh, It is, like I say, 241. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 245, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Whenever it's part of Pop Culture Corner, which we now do on Fridays in the 2.30 segment of the show, whenever we, we talk about cars, I, I always get a number of calls from people who look back fondly on the, the muscle cars of, of, of their youth. Uh, Dodge, Chrysler is coming out with a, a car. It's starting to ship uh, actually this week. It's called the Dodge Demon. Um, it is generally viewed as the fastest production car ever. Ever. 6.2 liter V8 Hemi engine, 840 horsepower, 0 to 60 in 2.3 seconds. It can cover a quarter mile um, at 140 miles an hour, 9.65 seconds. And a lot of automobile industry, you know, publications are saying this car should not, this car should not be allowed to be sold. It's just inherently dangerous. The only people that are going to buy a car like this are people who cannot drive 55 or 70. 414-799-1620. It starts at 85 grand. Um, let us begin with Mark in Wauwatosa. Mark, you're first on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Okay, should we should we have a car like this on the road? There are there are cars like that on the road already. Mm-hmm. I mean, all these people that you know are gearheads that soup up their own cars. Do you think that they're not there are not cars out there that are putting 800 plus on the floor? Yeah. Now, of course, the difference is these are people that have modified their cars as opposed to a production vehicle. Well, a production vehicle that costs eighty-five grand. <laughs> I mean, if you compare that to the price of some of these souped-up cars, it's relatively similar. Yeah. Um, and a majority of those cars that they sell, those beautiful Dodge Demons that are come out, they're going to probably be used at the strip anyways. Right. Yeah. Who I was going to say, who do you think? Who do you think really is the market for for this type of car? Given the fact that you know it starts at eighty five grand, my guess is by the time you get it with accessories, you're probably looking at close to a hundred. That would just be my guess. Oh, yeah, it's a pretty spendy car. <laughs> who who do you think is the market? Who I mean, who is the buyer for this? I'm going to say probably business executives in their middle forties. Okay. Kind of that weekend warrior who always who who wanted to be at the drag strip but never worked out. Like it never worked out, huh? Yes, sir. Okay, thanks for call for. I mean, I guess that that I mean that becomes that becomes the question. Are of course, if, if you're buying it at the drag strip, it doesn't need to be street legal. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Joe in North Milwaukee. Joe, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Joe. We've lived through this before. Back in 19, about nineteen eighty five, Yamaha came out with a motorcycle that was one hundred and twenty horsepower and could cover the quarter mile in 10 seconds 
and everybody was losing their minds. And, you know, that's back in the day before the big drunk driving laws. Right. All the regulations. So, yeah, they, they had a fit. The government had a fit, and they made them deep tune it down so it wasn't so much high end because a couple kids in Europe disintegrated themselves at about 180 miles an hour. Right. But in the end, you know, it all passed. And now that motorcycle is, you know, nothing compared. Now they have 200 horses right. on motorcycles that weigh 400 pounds. Think about that. Right. And you, and you can buy them for about 13,000 right. pounds. You know, it, it's it's interesting that you should call Joe because that when I saw this story, and again, I, I'm I'm not the buyer for this car the way it would spend a hundred grand, but I, again, I, I'm not into the big muscle cars. But when I first saw this, I mean, that's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm thinking about the the kids on the crotch rockets that are going. It seems like ninety and hundred miles an hour, weaving in and out of traffic on the freeway. If they can do that. I, this doesn't strike me as being any more inherently dangerous. At least in this case, people are in a car. You got a chance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, see, th- thanks. I mean, I guess that look, this isn't this isn't for me, okay? And I don't really understand who the buyer is going to be at this type of price. But I, I guess I look at this and I think, okay, well, again, understanding that you've got a lot more car under you than you can legally drive on the roads. All right, I, I mean, I, I guess I don't have an issue with this. Do I think it should be banned? No. I mean, but I think at the same time, if you buy something like this and you decide that you want to go up to I-43, up I driving from Milwaukee to Green Bay, and you decide you want to wind it up to 110 or whatever, I mean, just, just be prepared. You're going to get pulled over. I mean, I think this is going to be, of course, if you're driving it on the streets and you're driving it at a high rate of speed, it's... It's like any of, of these vehicles that are capable of going really fast. You know, just be prepared. Just be prepared for the tickets. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Tom in Wales. Tom, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you doing? Very well, thank you, sir. What do you think? Should people be able to buy this? Well, I'm... I'm kind of biased. I think you should be able to buy it if you want to. I look at the buyers that buy these type of vehicles. A lot of them are gentlemen my age group. I'm 57. I'd love to have one, but I'm looking at retirement, not spending it on a sports car or a drag car. <laughs> right. But this is something, it's called a halo car, and they've been halo cars around for years from all the manufacturers, Ford and GM and Chevy. I drive a halo truck that's got over 400 horsepower in it right from the factory. It was built in 2011. Right. I love it. I don't drive like a maniac because I worked fire and EMS for 13 years. I've seen what car accidents can do. Right. But you look at it, it's as long as there are demand in the marketplace, and guys my age group are a little younger, reminisce about the old muscle cars of the 60s and 70s we saw as kids that we couldn't afford, there'll be a market for it, and the automotive companies are going to supply it. Yeah, and I guess I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to think of is how is this different than – I don't know the Ferraris and the Lamborghinis. I mean, the, 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 like the stupid money cars that that some people have. I mean, now this might be a little bit faster, but when, once you start, you know, once you start talking about, you know, how you can quickly accelerate to 120 miles an hour, it, it really it doesn't really matter. I don't think very much once you have these really fast cars. Well, this one truly isn't fast. The actual Hellcat this was originally based on is actually faster for top speed. This is a car that was really designed for the drag race for the amateur drag racers. And the NHRA has actually banned that car from running in any of the amateur classes. Okay. It doesn't have a, a roll cage in it, and it's too fast for that speed breakout that they have in the NHRA for amateur drag racers. 
Okay. Really uh, pushing that halo, like somebody can afford a Ferrari, or even that Ford GT they come out with, it's almost a half-million-dollar car. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Do you think somebody should need some sort of special license for this? I've always thought about it when it comes to licensure. Um, I think they do a little bit in Europe. I'm not sure if anybody would accept that in the United States. Yeah. How are you going to test them, Jeff? It's just, right. I've been driving a lot of years, but I love to see them, but I don't know if I'm comfortable with them out on the road because they'll be inexperienced drivers right. risking innocent people's lives. Right, and, and, and so that beca- that would become the question. For example, um, you, you this is a bad this is not necessarily an analogy but you need maybe it's a bad analogy you you need you need you know if you're going to be a commercial truck driver you have to have a special type of license if you're going to be you know a, a chauffeur if you're going to drive a limousine you have to have a special type of license would this be something that that maybe that's the happy medium Ken in Beloit Ken you're on 620 WTMJ good afternoon Hi Jeff Hi Ken Yeah I I I think you should have an NHR license to even buy that thing because they say in the in the, in the magazines you can literally on the launch pull the front wheels three feet off the ground. Yeah, I'll bet. I mean, I'll, I'll bet if if you can if you can go if you can go from zero to sixty in th- two point three seconds. My guess is that's probably exactly what could happen. And and the fact that uh, you know when they released that Hellcat a couple of years ago. There's already been already been like a couple hundred of them pulled out mm-hmm. because of experienced drivers. No, this car, uh, it, no, it should not be on the street. Oh, not so. You think not on the street at all? Not just a specialty license. No. Not on the street. No. Period. No. Just for the drive strip. Huh? Okay. Okay. Thanks for the call. Well. Um, I mean, so far, there's no efforts to ban it. I would actually take the happy medium. I would think that you should have to have a special license to operate a vehicle like this. Um, I'm going to be curious. I mean, right now, they're only coming out with 3,300. They, at least for the first year, 300 stay in Canada. Um, Will they sell? Will they sell all 300 at make make $85,000 starting? My guess is. My guess is yes, but it'll be curious to see. Anyways, you've got a hundred grand or so sticking around, and you're looking for something. Well, um, maybe they make a great Christmas gift. I don't know. It's two fifty four. John McCure's in next. We're going to find out what he has on his mind. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.